Today's scripture is Luke 14, 1 through 24. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at a table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. How many of you love a good party? I'm not talking about, you know, a college kegger, of course. Um, That's not a real party. I'm talking about a real party with real joy. Real laughter, music, and really good food. I mean, I love a good party. I love the the ice cream and the cake, and I love um, just going overboard with the food, whatever that might be. Um, I'm known to kind of go crazy for parties in our families. Um, I have actually, might surprise you, I've done a couple of magic shows for parties uh, for my kids and for my niece, and and no, it did not become a side gig. It, It was really quite something, but but I love going all out for parties. I've actually eaten a whole box of Krispy Kreme donuts at one party. Um, 
I have done a little bit of stand-up comedy at a party. I've even tried playing a guitar and singing at a party. Because I love parties. If there's something that I can do to make a party more fun, I love it. I enjoy it. And the crazy thing to me is that as we read through the Gospels, Jesus was the ultimate partier. He was constantly being invited to parties, wedding parties, house parties, all kinds of celebrations and gatherings. Everybody wanted Jesus there, which tells me something about Jesus. I think Jesus was lots of fun. I know that there's a lot of stuff Jesus says that's really serious, right? Um, and, and that's what the gospel writers had to record. But they say themselves, they didn't record everything. And the things that we have, we have enough to say, I bet Jesus was a lot of fun. I mean, kids loved him to boot. And kids don't like people that aren't a lot of fun, right? Jesus was loved by everybody. He was always wanted at the parties. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus got invited to so many parties that he was accused of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. Like some people literally said, hey, that guy eats too much and drinks too much. He's always at parties. And I think that's just an amazing thing for God in the flesh to do. Now, our text tells us that people had different reasons for inviting Jesus to their parties. Obviously, most people invited Jesus because they just loved Jesus. They just appreciated Jesus. They just wanted him present. They enjoyed Jesus. But there were other people, like in our text today, this ruler of the Pharisees, this guy who's kind of a big deal, he invited Jesus not so much because he wanted to enjoy Jesus, but Luke tells us that they wanted to watch him closely. So you kind of see them, you know, with a little bit of a sinister laugh, like, should we invite Jesus? You know, and they're just kind of plotting, like, maybe we can trap him. Maybe we can, maybe we can put something on him that'll get him in trouble. Maybe we can even kill him. So they're always around Jesus, but not for the best of reasons, and now, this story is obviously set in the scene of a party, but Jesus is going to go on to tell us two parables about parties while he's at this party. So Jesus, the ultimate partier, you might say, is going to teach us some things that we need to know in order to party properly. All right? Now, why is this necessary, you might ask? Why do we need to know how to throw a good party, how to be at a party? Well, if you think about it, church is really like a Jesus party every single week. Every week we gather to celebrate our risen Lord, that Jesus has died and risen again. He's conquered Satan, sin, and death, and we're celebrating that every week until he comes. And when he comes, you realize, he's going to throw the most massive party that's ever been seen. And so Jesus is the ultimate partier. He's going to teach us four big ideas about what our weekly Jesus party should be like as we gather together. He's going to teach us the activity, the main activity of a Jesus party. He's going to teach us the mindset necessary for a Jesus party. He's going to teach us who should be on the guest list. And finally, he's going to show us the big party that all our little parties point to. All right, so here we go. Four things. Let's dive in. First of all, the main activity of a Jesus party, we could sum it up like this, is healing. The main activity of a Jesus party is healing, both physically and spiritually. If you remember back to last week, Jack mentioned this scripture too, when Jesus um, first got, went into the synagogue to preach his first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. He stood up and he read from the scroll of Isaiah. And it's this amazing spot in Isaiah. He read from it, sits down, kind of does this mic drop and says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what was that scripture? Well, he said, look, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, um, sight to the blind. That's what Jesus said he came to do. And that's what all of his Jesus parties looked like while he was on earth. 
Whenever Jesus gathered with a group of people, his new kingdom was breaking through. It was like light breaking through the darkness. There's these little pockets of new kingdom life happening. People were healed of physical infirmities. People were being set free from demonic oppression and possession. He was opening blind eyes both spiritually and physically. Spiritually opening eyes to see him as the Messiah and physically opening blind eyes to see. The parties were just wonderful. Of course, Jesus does it again in this passage. You know, a man with dropsy comes to him. And dropsy was a condition of swelling in the limbs where there'd be too much fluid in the tissues. And today we would call that condition edema. But this guy comes to Jesus. And, of course, this has gotten Jesus in trouble because it's the Sabbath day. And Jesus has done several other miracles on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees are like, no, you can't do that. That's work. shouldn't be doing that kind of work. You shouldn't be doing that kind of activity on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, I'm going to take this opportunity to teach you guys once more. This is exactly the kind of activity that God would have on on the Lord's day. This is exactly the kind of activity that he wants done at his parties. Bringing healing to people is, in fact, God's heart. And this is what our weekly Jesus parties are to be about as well. Bringing healing to people both physically and spiritually. So just as the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus to do all these things, to set the captives free, to open blind eyes, to heal the sick, so the Spirit of the Lord now has poured out on the church, Jesus' body, for us to do the very same things. Um, I was reflecting about this and studying the problem of evil and suffering this past week, which, you know, the problem of evil and suffering is one of the main theological problems that skeptics raise for for the idea of the Christian God. They say, look, how could there possibly be a good, all-powerful God when he allows so much evil and suffering to continue on in the world? It's a formidable problem, right? Um, And you may have had conversations like this with somebody, or maybe you had your own questions about this. And I was listening to a podcast by N.T. Wright, and he talked about, you know, how interesting it is that this problem, the problem of evil and suffering, actually never became a theological problem until the 18th century when deism really crept into the church. And deism is this belief that there is an all-powerful creator God, but he does not interact with his creation. He is just sort of distant, just kind of lets it go. And N.T. Wright was saying, look, the problem of evil and suffering, of course, has been around since the early church. Like the church certainly had their children die young or even in the womb. They um, lost family members to all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. Many of them were persecuted. They had natural disasters just like we have tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes. So they were very aware of evil and suffering. But they never, they, they never saw that as a major theological problem of how could God allow this. And the reason why is that the church saw... God as creating the world with such an order that he had created human beings to be his agents working in the world to bring about his will in the world. And so when human beings fell, obviously everything started to unravel and everything started to fall apart. But then Jesus shows up on the scene and starts to undo all that. All of a sudden the blind eyes are open. All of a sudden the lame walk. All of a sudden the dead are raised. So we see God working through a human being. And the early church took that very seriously. When Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven and poured out his Holy Spirit, they said, look, guys, Jesus has now passed the baton to us. We are the ones who are now supposed to carry out the work of God in this broken world where we see so much evil and suffering. We're the ones now called to undo it while we wait for our king to come. So they didn't see it as so much of a problem. How can God allow this? What's he doing? How come he's not fixing this? They said, he is fixing it. He's doing it through us. 
And so they took that as their call to get their hands dirty, to get involved in the evil and the suffering of the world and to begin undoing it, even as Jesus was. And that's precisely what our Jesus party should involve today. The church gathering should be this resurrection community, celebrating our risen Lord and operating in the power of his spirit to bring about wholeness and healing to the world. So our Jesus party should be these little snapshots of the kingdom of God breaking through where you just see it for a glimpse, right? You know, his kingdom's not entirely here yet, but you know it's coming. It's coming. It's, it's going to be here because you see it breaking through. It's popping through. It can't be contained much longer. And that's why we pray for one another here at Life Church. In the middle of the service, we take prayer requests, and we've seen some really cool answers to prayer as you all have ministered to one another in prayer. So I care I prayed over our students and our teachers today. That's why we have people up here to pray for you afterwards, to minister you both physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, because it's still God's heart to enter into this broken world and to bring about healing and wholeness. And that's part of what our Jesus party should involve. That's the main activity is healing. But that brings us to the second point. What's the mindset necessary for a good Jesus party? Well, after healing the man with dropsy, Jesus notices something. Look at verse 7. Jesus noticed how everyone was choosing places of honor at the party, and he considers this a significant party foul. How many of you have committed a significant party foul before? You know, uh, and by party foul, I mean just something that you did wrong. Maybe you knocked the punch bowl over. Um, I had a really bad year with parties a couple years back. I, for, I left two ice cream cakes for my kids out of the freezer in one year. I don't know what it's just, I was just really spacey that year apparently, but I go out to the freezer, take the cake out because it's just big and massive, and then I'm digging around and I just leave it out coming back like a day later to this, this you know, leaning tower of ice cream cake, and it's just bad. I mean, turns out you can't just put it back in the freezer. It's pretty bad. Uh, it doesn't taste right after that. But I, I remember being, uh, I was at this, this uh, wedding party, this wedding reception, and I was asked to do the, the MC, and the couple wanted... A, uh, they, they wanted an open mic time, which is always risky, I think. Um, but they wanted people to be, come, be able to come up and tell, you know, fond memories of them with the couple. And this one guy comes up, and I had a bad feeling about it. And he grabs the mic, and he says, you know, congratulations to you guys, but I'm pretty sure the bride wanted me at one time. And he tells a story of how they were driving back from a basketball game, and he was getting hot because, you know, it was wintertime. He had his coat on. And so he said, hey, can you mind helping me with my jacket here? And she must not have heard him. And she grabbed his hand to hold his hand. <laughs> and he's telling the story at her wedding to another guy. And, and he's like, so, yeah, you know, I was like, it felt kind of awkward about it. But I was like, hey, this is really nice. But maybe you could help me with my jacket. <laughs> you know? And I was just mortified there. I was like, I don't know what to say about that. But it was a really big party foul, you know, like you don't do that at somebody's wedding. And the bride handled it really well. Uh, I don't know if she, you know, sent him some hate mail afterwards. But Jesus has one big party foul on his list of things that you do not bring to a Jesus party, uh, and that is pride. Um, C.S. Lewis called pride spiritual cancer. It eats away everything good about us, everything good about our community. And he says, look, you can't show up to a Jesus party like that. It's not good form. It won't work. There's a required mindset that you must have for showing up to a Jesus party, and that mindset is humility. So Jesus says, look, when you get invited to a party, don't go there and take the seat of the greatest honor. Don't go in there all puffed up and think that you're so hot and you need this spot up by the front. He says, be humble. And, of course, Jesus is taking this wisdom straight from the book of Proverbs. 
So there's a real life application. Like if you've ever had this kind of thing happen, you just look like a total goober. And it's really embarrassing when you go and, and sit down in a spot that you know, somebody has to ask you to leave and you're embarrassed in front of everybody. But there's a bigger idea behind it that Jesus is trying to get at. Remember that Jesus is getting us ready for his great party. He's saying pride and jockeying for position and looking down our noses at other people, that's not going to work. That's going to be a party foul. That's going to get you demoted. Humility instead is where it's at. Look at verse 11. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the thing of it is, if you're a prideful person, you're thinking, oh, that's the way I get exalted, is I just humble myself first. It doesn't work that way, right? Only us prideful people would think of doing that in order to be exalted. Humility is, in fact, the main virtue, the central virtue that the Holy Spirit wants to work in us. It's a virtue that he works in your heart over time as you become more and more like Jesus. C.S. Lewis called humility the center of the Christian virtues. And it's central because it puts us in the right posture to receive from God. He says, look, if, if you're filled with pride, you can't possibly look up to God while you're so busy looking down on other people, right? So pride then is the anti-God state of mind. Humility is the state of mind we have to be in in order to receive from God everything that we need from him. So what does that mean for us? We don't have this issue, I haven't noticed anyway, people jockeying for position for the front row seats here. Thank you guys for sitting in the front, Josh and Hope. Uh, most people actually don't want to sit in the front seat, I found. It's like the back seats, those are the, those are the prized ones. You know, you can slip out real quick without having to talk to the pastor or whatever, whatever the reason is for that. But, but maybe we, we still have to remember the principle here. Like how are we coming into our Jesus parties every Sunday? Are we coming in you know, prideful, thinking that we're way better than other people, looking down our noses at other people, thinking that we don't have this issue and that issue like those people. Because Jesus says that won't work. Are we coming in humble, believing we're desperately in need of his grace, desperately in need of his work in our lives yet again? Humility is one of those things. It's just like we're talking about with the Roots course. You never graduate from it. You always need to grow in humility, and that's what Jesus is saying here. This is the mindset necessary to enter his, his party properly. So the activity is healing, the mindset is humility, and that brings us to the guest list. Who's invited to a Jesus party? Who's invited? And the short answer to this point is everyone. But look at how Jesus addresses this specifically in verse 12. He says to the guy who invited him, look, when you throw your next party, don't just invite your relatives or your rich neighbors and those kinds of people. Here's who I want you to invite. Look at his list. This is repeated twice in our passage. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, people who can't repay you. People who have less than you with every kind of currency. People who you'd be tempted to believe have nothing to offer you. That's who Jesus says must be on the guest list for his party. Now, why would Jesus have to say this to the man who invited him? Well, back then, it wasn't so much different than throwing a wedding party or a wedding reception today. When you have a guest list, the longer that guest list gets, if you're planning on feeding them and giving them nice drinks, that bill goes up, right? It gets more and more expensive. Those of you who have recently been married, you know this. And so you're like, oh, should we trim the guest list down or just hope that people are generous and give nice gifts? Because that's the other thing you know is like, as your guest list gets longer, 
what helps to kind of offset that cost is the money that you get for your wedding. Well, what if you invited the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind? These are people that Jesus says, here's who you should invite to your next party. And all of, you know, the poor maybe are, are slightly employed, but very tight with money. And all the rest of those people, all the rest of those categories are people who literally did not have an income, who had to beg for their income. Jesus says, that's who I want on my list. You can imagine, they couldn't give any kind of gift. There would be no repayment. There would be no reciprocal invites. And Jesus says, this is the kind of person I want you to invite. Now, what are the reasons for Jesus saying this to this guy? I think there are two big ones. And the first one is that Jesus says this because his heart is near towards the broken, the hurting, the sick, the poor. And Luke's gospel is especially sensitive to that. Luke's gospel just shows us how our Lord's heart is dialed into the needs of these marginalized people, like he is attentive to them. Jesus doesn't just feel bad for people in this position. He loves them dearly. He loves them just as much as he loves anyone else. They are not second-class citizens in his kingdom. In fact, you could easily make an argument from the gospels that Jesus' heart is nearer to the poor, the sick, the broken, the hurting, than it is to the rich and the powerful. His heart is near. It's closer to them. So that's the first reason Jesus wants them there. He just loves them. He's passionate about them. He wants them there because those are his people. But secondly, Jesus says these people must be on the guest list for his parties, for our Jesus parties, because that reflects, when we invite that category of people, it reflects a heart of trust in our Heavenly Father. We trust that he's going to provide us with everything we need to meet all those needs, right? That's what he's going to do. And the reason we're often not generous with the poor, I think, is because we sense that it's going to overwhelm us. We sense that their need is going to take our accounts to empty, right? And we won't have anything left to give. We know that our resources are limited. We, you know, we run out of money. We run out of time. We run out of compassion. We run out of energy. We know that. But when a person is really generous to the poor, it reflects the heart of somebody who gets that their, their supply doesn't come from their endless bank accounts. It comes from a God who is limitless. It comes from a God who's limitless. That's the heart of a, of a church, of a Jesus party that really is, is intentional about inviting those categories of people. They know where their supply comes from. And this is the theme of our Jeremiah passage this week. If you're reading in the lectionary, Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. And isn't this precisely what we do, right? We're like, hey, look, we, we turn our backs on God, the fountain of living water, and we're like, we'll provide for ourselves. We'll take care of ourselves. We'll be our own source of life. And then no wonder why we're always empty. No wonder why we have nothing to give out, right? Because we aren't a limitless supply. Only he is. A generous church to the needy is a church that welcomes a person no matter how broken because God loves them and wants them at his party and because he is, in fact, our fountain of living water that never runs dry. He's our source, and he is limitless. We have limits, yes, and it's good for us to admit them. It's healthy for us to admit our limits. But we have to remember that God can give us the ability to meet needs that we might not even understand all the way. 
Like, he is a limitless supply. He's a limitless source. And so he can bring resources out of the woodwork. And we've seen him do that at Life Church, where, he's, where we're like, wow, how's this going to work out? God supplies all of our needs. He really does. I love that Life Church is a place where people of every um, social status have told me they feel known, loved, and valued here. I love that about this church. I love that this is a church where children are valued and esteemed highly. You understand that back in Jesus' time and in this time, it was tempting for children to not be valued at all because what could they bring to the table? They didn't have wealth. They didn't have wisdom. They didn't have developed skill sets to offer. And yet Jesus said over and over, I want those people at my party. I want kids at my party. We see the same in Life Church. Everyone is invited, but especially the poor, the blind, the cripple, the lame. So there's the activity. It's healing. The mindset is humility. The guest list is everyone. And that brings us to the fourth and final point. Jesus shows us the big party that all of our little parties point to. So there's this bigger picture that's being painted behind all these smaller pictures and parables that Jesus gives here. And that picture is of the great banquet at the end when Jesus returns. It's the party of all parties. And this is the party that all of our weekly Sunday parties are supposed to point to and mirror. And I could not, you know, plan this sermon this week without thinking about Lydia Warden and John Warden in the play this past year and Kara Naomi in the play um, last year, The Passion and the Cross. And they have this amazing banquet scene. It was just too long. I could not play it. But it's a fantastic scene. I hope you go see it this next year because it's wonderful. And, and it really shows us this big party that, that, God, that Jesus is planning. And look at this. True to form, Jesus says many were invited to this party. Like he sent out the invites liberally. The guest list was long. And it didn't take long for people to begin making excuses. And they're pretty bad excuses. Didn't any of you know that? notice that as Tinley was reading the text? These excuses are lame. Like they're not like great excuses. I, I bought a field and I have to go look at it. I feel like fields, once you've seen one, you've kind of seen them all, right? Um, is it going to change? Didn't you look at it before you bought it? Same thing with the oxen, you know? Like is, it, is there that much difference after you bought the ox than before? Um, a guy got married. I mean, how offensive to his wife? Uh, I've just gotten married, so I can't come. What? Is, are you, you afraid to take her out in public? You know, why can't you go to the party? But they start making these lame excuses and this is us too, right? We're professional excuse makers. You know, we can come up with an excuse for just about anything. And maybe that's where you've been with Jesus recently. As he's inviting you to come to him, maybe you've got an excuse. Um, you know, hey, I'm just too busy right now. That's common in our culture. Um, I know in the years I did student ministry, one of the common excuses was, I'll get serious about that Jesus stuff when I'm older. Like when I'm really old, like in my 30s, Right? I'll get, I'll get serious about that Jesus stuff later. Um, you know, I've just got too much going on right now. Uh, I, it, or it's too costly. Or I have big questions. I have big doubts. And sometimes I think, yeah, our doubts are important to express in our Christian faith. Absolutely. But sometimes I find people just want to be a lazy doubter. Just throw up a doubt and then, oh, that's my reason for not following Jesus or not wrestling with his claims. Because I would rather just be a lazy doubter than, than try to have faith. All common excuses, but here's the big idea we're supposed to see here is look at God's heart. And the servant comes back and reports these things to his master. The master of the house said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Servant's like, sir, what you commanded has been done. There's still room. 
The master said to his servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. That's what God wants. That's the heart of our God. He's not trying to keep people out. He's like, come in. I'm inviting them. Everyone's invited. Come to the party. When people turn down God's invitation, he just keeps inviting more and more people because God wants his party at the end of time to be filled with people. He's inviting everyone to that party, the poor, the blind, the sick, the lame. He's inviting the rich, the powerful, the successful. He's inviting people whose lives look like they're falling apart. He's inviting people whose lives look clean and like they have everything together. The only question is, will you receive his invitation? Or will you have an excuse? That's the only question. See, the crazy thing about this passage is that many are invited, but only a few receive his invitation with joy. Reminds me of Jack's passage last week, right? Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few receive this invitation, this great invitation of the king with joy. Friends, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Jesus is inviting you to attend his great party at the end of time. When he returns, when the whole world will celebrate the risen Lord, the risen king together. When we feast, will you receive that invitation today? Will you receive it with joy? Please understand, he doesn't extend this invitation flippantly or lightly. Yes, the invitation comes to you freely, but it was incredibly costly for him. It cost him his very life. See, for all the partying that Jesus did while he was on earth, he suffered a million times more as he took our sin on himself on the cross. See, friends, the reality is that Jesus knew you could never pay the cost to enter the party at the end of time. So he paid it for you. I think this is the reason why the gospel is always such good news to the poor, is the poor understand they get not being able to afford something. They get not being able to pay for something. Whereas the rich really struggle with that concept. They're like, what do you mean I can't pay for it? I can pay for anything. I have enough money to pay for anything, right? No, you couldn't pay for this. You could never afford it. So Jesus took the cost for you. He took your cover charge. He paid for your all-excess pass so that you could attend. Now he simply invites you to attend for free. Sure, there's a real cost to discipleship. We're not going to hide that or sugarcoat it. We're going to talk about that next week. But the cost for you attending his banquet has been paid. So will you attend or will you be left outside? That's the, that's the question Jesus wants you to wrestle with today. There's going to be people up here to pray for you, minister to you. If the Holy Spirit's working on your heart, we would love to invite you into his new kingdom today. Today can be the day for you. For the rest of us here who are Christians and are part of this community here at Life Church, I've been wrestling this week with how do we make our weekly Jesus parties Parties that Jesus himself would want to attend. Parties that he would be pleased with. Parties where the activity regularly is healing and restoration and wholeness brought to people spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. How do we make that central? I think it starts with just seeking him, right? Because we don't have the power in and of ourselves, but he works that power through us. Remember, that's how God wants to work in the world. He fills human beings as his agents, and he works through them to bring healing and restoration to the broken, fallen world that we live in. So I think it starts by seeking him. 
But how do we keep a mindset of humility? Maybe this is a, a sermon for us to just check our hearts to say, have I started thinking too much of myself? Have I started thinking about myself all the time when I come to church and not about others? How I can serve, how I can bless, how I can use my gifts to encourage and to strengthen the body of Christ. How are we keeping the guest list wide open to everybody? Everybody who would receive Jesus as Lord, God, Savior, and King. We want to invite them. Come. Come to the party. Jesus invites you. We want to keep that wide open too. And then finally, how do we keep pointing to the big party? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the ultimate partier. Today, you are invited to his great party at the end of time. And he's inviting you in the meantime to throw parties that please him. Amen? Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for the joy that is in your heart. You are a happy God, full of joy and celebration and we thank you for the party that you're planning for the, the end of time when you return. We pray that we would be ready. We pray that you would find a church eager for you, humble, um, welcoming every person that we can welcome to that great banquet. And that your house would be full. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.